Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Tel Aviv, Israel with my new friend Mark Gordon, the co-host of the Jerusalem Post podcast, Travel Edition. Mark has been in Tel Aviv for more than 10 years and he loves the great food, lively bars, and beautiful Mediterranean beaches. In this episode, Mark and I talk about visiting the Annie Museum of the Jewish People, seeing Andromeda's Rock from Greek mythology, and exploring the old city of Jaffa. He brought these three amazing experiences and so much more. If you know someone that wants to visit Israel, I'd love it if you shared this podcast episode with them. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tel Aviv. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Acorns is one of my favorite apps because it helps me invest spare change automatically. Every time I make a purchase with a registered debit or credit card, the transaction is rounded up to the next dollar. Then, Acorn invests these roundups in my personalized portfolio. Plus, when you shop at participating retailers or service providers, you can earn additional found money to invest in your future. Examples of current and previous partners include DoorDash, Liberty Mutual, Macy's, and FedEx. I've been using Acorns for years and love how much money I've saved up from all these small investments. Sign up using my referral link at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns to start saving today. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about Tel Aviv, Israel. It's a city I've heard a lot about, but I haven't had a chance to go there yet. And so I'm really excited to have you on and being able to share your tips. Yeah, as, as you can tell from my accent, I'm not born in Tel Aviv. I'm actually a Londoner. But I've lived in Israel for coming up for 11 years now. Oh, fantastic. So what brought you to Tel Aviv? The main thing that brought me to Tel Aviv is work. By trade, I, I'm an accountant. I'm also a podcaster. And my office is in Tel Aviv and right on the beach. So I commute to Tel Aviv daily. Having, a, having an office right on the beach, I mean, that's pretty much a, a dream for most people, right? I mean, it may be a little hard to get work done when you're, out, when you're staring out the window, but uh, it's pretty nice for the lunch breaks, I'm sure. Yeah, in a way, it's nice. In a way, it's torture because you're sat at your desk with your computer and <laughs> out of the window is the Mediterranean. But yeah, it's it's a great place to work. There's a, a little bit on my drive home when you come down this hill, when you've got the whole strip of Tel Aviv Beach all the way down to Jaffa. It's one of the most beautiful things. Oh, that sounds amazing. So obviously, you know, the scenery is beautiful, but what else keeps you in the in the city after all these years? Other than my job, because if I don't turn up, they don't pay me. <laughs> um, I just really like it. It's a it's a bohemian city. It feels like you're you're in Europe, but you're on the cusp of the Middle East. You've got a bit of everything there. Great food, great bars, full of escape rooms. I, I love doing escape rooms. There are a lot of those to do. So I, I could spend my evenings in Tel Aviv doing escape rooms. But mainly the food, the bars, the the beaches. That that's what keeps me there. That sounds like so much fun. Obviously, you. Know, Summer times must be wonderful right there at the beach. But what's the weather like throughout the year? So January, February is the rainy season. It doesn't rain a lot in Israel, but when it rains, it really comes. So January, February, the streets are flooded. The drains block up. Car parks flood. It can be really awful. I was going to a meeting with David, who's my co-host of our podcast, about three weeks ago. And we were trying to walk against the wind by the sea. And it was just pushing us back. It, it can be really strong. But from about March to July, it's really lovely. August is disgustingly hot. And then from September down to November again, it's 
30 degrees, sunshine all day, no rain, really good place to be. And just for clarification for the for the listeners, you know, I'm in the US, so 30 degrees is pretty cold here, but it's 30 degrees Celsius, which is which is nice and toasty over there. Yeah, 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Nice. I, I learned at school to convert Fahrenheit to <laughs> Celsius. But yeah, no, we use Celsius here, but yeah, during August you get beyond a hundred. It's sticky and humid, but from March to June, you're talking 70 to 80. Really nice with a sea breeze. Oh, fantastic. Now, are there certain festivals or any other events that happen throughout the year if somebody's planning their trip and maybe they want to be able to attend that while they're there? Yeah. Tel Aviv people are really fit. They love a run. They love a cycle. So probably three, four times a year, there's the night run, the half marathon, the Tel Aviv cycle ride. During the summer holidays, there's usually music festivals on the beach. But probably the biggest thing that happens in Tel Aviv is Tel Aviv Pride. It's the only city probably in the Middle East that has a large pride parade. And you get maybe 200,000 people coming in for it uh, on the Friday of Pride. There's a big parade down the promenade, massive, massive event. And if you're going to go to a pride parade around the world, Tel Aviv is the one to go to. That's a lot of people. So that's fantastic that there's so many people out there going out and supporting and having a lot of fun. Now, if if we're planning to come out there to Tel Aviv, there's primarily just one like major airport nearby, correct? Yeah. It, well, Israel has two airports, but for most of the country, uh, they're served by Ben Gurion Airport, which is 25 minutes outside of Tel Aviv. It's near a place called Lod and probably 35 minutes drive to Jerusalem in the other direction, a little bit more during rush hour. But it's it's a big international airport. It's serviced from most of the world and it's called Ben Gurion Airport. Okay. And then uh, say if we're flying from the US to Tel Aviv, are there certain airlines that you might recommend for us to, to try? Yes, certainly. American, United, and Delta all have direct flights. They hit various cities, New York, Boston, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles, and American are trying to start up a route via Dallas, but I think it's been postponed a, a few times, but hopefully by the end of 2022, American will also fly out of Dallas. And then you've got El Al, who are the Israeli national carrier who do Los Angeles, I think now San Francisco, Miami, Boston, and New York. Turkish Airlines as well, which is an hour and a half from Israel, have a lot of good connections. So I think they do 12 US cities, and then it's a, like a hop from Istanbul into Tel Aviv. Okay, so say we're flying into the Ben Gurion Airport. From there, how do we actually get from the airport to the city? Is there like a, like a monorail, like a buses? Do we rent a car? What's the best way to get there? So you've got a number of options. There is a train service directly from the airport into, I think there are four stations in Tel Aviv. They're like ride shares. You get on and then they will drop you off at various hotels, but you don't tend to pre-book it. And that will take you to Tel Aviv and some of the cities around there. There is now a bus. I think it's the 445 bus that you can pick up. And there are taxis, many, many taxis. A taxi ride is around... 150 shekels, which is around 40 to $50 from the airport into Tel Aviv by the beach. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, that's not too bad. Uh, now, you mentioned there's a lot of taxis. Are there ride-sharing services there as well? They have something called a charut, which parks up and then people will just get on it until it fills up and then it will, will drive and ask where you're going. So I, I don't think there's pre-bookable ride shares, but there are taxis that will take you everywhere. The train runs about every half hour. 
And since the train came in, I think the number of bus services and ride shares have, have come down because the train is the quickest and the best route. It's one stop from Ben Gurion to the first Tel Aviv station in around 12 minutes. Oh, perfect. That sounds awesome. If I can avoid renting a car, especially driving in a, in a foreign country, I, I'm all for it. I, I would generally avoid renting a car if you're going into central Tel Aviv because there is minimal parking. If you're going somewhere else in Israel, then car rental is advised. But to go into Tel Aviv, you're never going to find anywhere to park the car. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot like LA where I, used to, where I used to work. Now, once we actually get into the city and we're getting around, obviously, Tel Aviv is probably a pretty big city within Israel. It's not like you could, you could just walk everywhere. Is there like bus service or or is it, a, is it walkable as far as being able to hit up a lot of the attractions you may want to visit? So from one end of the beach... There's Tel Aviv Port, and at the other end, you've got Jaffa. You can probably walk it in about 45, 50 minutes. So it's a really nice beach walk, but there, there is a, a copious bus service throughout the city, and there are a number of apps that you can get in English so you can follow where to go on the buses. You can certainly do it on, on Google Maps. There is also a taxi app called Get, and that will book you a taxi to turn up wherever you are and take you to wherever you are, and that's also in English. But yeah, on a, on a nice day, it's really nice to walk down the beach. Oh, that's good. I'm sure there's some uh, pretty interesting people watching too. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> and, and the people of Tel Aviv are very beautiful. You, you can sit and watch them on the beach playing volleyball. And a lot of the beaches have little gyms on the edge of the beach. So you can watch people exercise and feel good about yourself for hours. Yeah, it's almost like osmosis, right? You don't, you don't have to work out. You can just sit there near to somebody else who is working out. And that's how you get your beach bod. I thought about exercising and that's almost as good as doing it. I'll take half, half the calories. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. On. So when we're planning our visit and we're, we're booking our hotel, are there certain areas of the, the city where maybe we want to book our hotel or maybe certain parts of the city where we should avoid? There's probably only one part of the city I would avoid. And that's towards the South near the bus station area. It, it's quite run down. Israel had a policy maybe two, probably five years ago where it had an open border. And a number of migrants came through from Africa and settled in that area. So it, it's quite low rent around there. There's not high crime. Tel Aviv doesn't have a lot of crime. It, it's a very safe place to be. But just because it's more of the sort of area where the refugees have settled, there aren't many hotels there. And if they are, they tend to be putting up families uh, and not really for tourists. Okay. More like a, like a long-term rental type of situation versus... Yeah. The best place to be is obviously near the beach, but there are quite a few city center hotels. Tel Aviv has quite a big corporate area and there are a lot of hotels there, but I would recommend the hotels by the beach. Okay. And with hotels there, I love using miles and points when I travel. Are there like some of the big ma major brands like, you know, Hyatt and Hilton and Marriott, those types, or is it more of like local brands and like mom and pops and Airbnbs? There's a big mix. I mean, IHG, you've got the David Intercontinental. Hilton, you've got the Hilton Tel Aviv, which is opposite my office. It's blocking part of my view to the sea, but is one of the longstanding major hotels of Tel Aviv. Hyatt, there isn't a lot of Hyatt presence in Tel Aviv. I, I couldn't find one that was part of the Hyatt group. Marriott, you've got the Sheraton. You've got the Ritz-Carlton Herzliya, which is just north of Tel Aviv. And there's a new hotel called the Jaffa which is part of the leading hotels of the world. There are a couple of big Israeli chains, Isratel and Dan, and they have some very good hotels. And in March 2022, the David Kempinski is supposed to open, which will be supposedly the most luxurious hotel in Tel Aviv. Oh, fantastic. I have had the privilege of a guided tour. 
and I went to the suite on the top floor. I say the top floor, it's three floors and it has its own private swimming pool. If you've got a spare few thousand dollars a night, <laughs> highly recommend it. Well, if you, if you don't mind me writing a check, uh, maybe that'll, and holding on to it for like a year or two, I think that'll work. Uh, <laughs> as far as like, maybe if you have friends coming in, you know, I know you said that you are a relatively new transplant. You've been here about 11 years. Like if you have family coming over from London and they're not going to stay with you, is there a hotel that you recommend them uh, staying at? So I, I live just outside of Tel Aviv and we don't have great hotels where we are. I mean, we're, we're very lucky. We've got spare bedrooms. So family come and stay with us. Outside of Tel Aviv, I would probably recommend Airbnb it or something similar like that. Within Tel Aviv, my personal favorite, which I think is a, a decent priced hotel and is high end, is a hotel called The Carlton. And again, it's ne- it's next to the Hilton opposite my office. It does the best breakfast in Tel Aviv. The room where the breakfast takes place is sat over the sea. It's almost like a separate building. You could eat in there all day. Uh, it's got like a, a frozen yogurt machine, hundreds of cheeses, hundreds of breads. You, you are not sport for choice there. Yeah, I'm going to bring my stretchy pants for that, for sure. Yeah, you, you would definitely need it. <laughs> and you would definitely need to watch a few people exercising after the breakfast there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and just for clarification, that's not Ritz Carlton, like you know, one of the major hotel brands. That's it's more like a local brand. It's called just Carlton. Yeah, it's about it's a high end hotel. It's got thirteen, fourteen floors. Some facing the city, some facing the sea. It's got a really good lounge. It's got a couple of very good restaurants with a celebrity chef running them. It's very popular with tourists from the UK and the US. Oh, fantastic. Now, let's talk about some of the things we should be doing when we're visiting Tel Aviv. Obviously, like you mentioned, hitting up the beach, watching people work out so that way you can get your, you know, your beach body ready, taking a stroll down the down the the edge of the beach, those type of things. But what are some of the other attractions we should do when we're visiting? Tel Aviv is quite a new city. Uh it didn't exist until about 150 years ago. It's built on the side of a much older city called Jaffa, and now they're merged together and called Tel Aviv Jaffa. So, there's quite a lot of history to go and see in Jaffa there's an old city there there's the flea market there I think one of the things that there's plenty to see in Tel Aviv is, is markets there's the Carmel market which is a little bit touristy it's got fruit but it's it's got a much more vibrant scene over the last 10-15 years of little cafes and restaurants and bars and you can sit amongst the market stalls and, and eat there Tel Aviv is full of bars and restaurants and I think there was a recent report which went through the top 50 restaurants in the Middle East, and I think six of them in Tel Aviv. Oh, wow. So it's one of the new, the new kids on the block in terms of high-end cuisine, but Tel Aviv is definitely a place to go out and eat in restaurants. One word I would use about Tel Aviv, or there's a few words, but Tel Aviv is expensive. It was officially designated the most expensive city in the world by The Economist magazine. So whatever you would pay in the US for a meal, double that for Tel Aviv. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, eating a lot of crackers and, uh, <laughs> and drink a lot of water while we're there. I think get what you can from your big hotel breakfast, skip lunch, and then go for a good dinner. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like you said, the city's only about 150 years old, which you know, for us Americans, that seems like an, a, an eternity since our country is so new. But uh, you know, in the European world, I mean, that's like a baby. But yeah. um, <laughs> I'm sure there's uh, some other different attractions or some other things that we should see while we're there. Like you mentioned, like the old city over in Jaffa, uh, which is not that far away. You know, like you said, a, a walk within an hour or a quick taxi ride. Is there anything else like in that area that we should visit while we're there? 
So, I mean, going back to the history, if you go to Jaffa, there's a rock there called Andromeda Rock, which goes all the way back into Greek mythology. And I think it relates, you'll have to excuse my lack of knowledge of Greek mythology, but it relates to the story of Perseus and Andromeda. And I think Andromeda was stranded on the rock. There's places where Napoleon landed in Jaffa. Jaffa is, is the place with a thousand, two thousand years of history. So there is plenty to see around there. There are some very interesting walking tours that I've been on. There's a graffiti tour. Um, there are areas of Tel Aviv that are famed for the, the the sort of high level graffiti that they've got. I'd recommend doing the graffiti tour. And there's this wonderful building called the bus station. I know we mentioned it earlier as somewhere not to stay, but it's worth a visit. It's an architectural monstrosity like you would never see. No one would ever build a bus station like this if they spent 10 minutes planning it. But the city spent 40 years building it. And it was built by an architect who thought that if you put the buses on the top floor and the shops in the middle floor and then the local buses on the bottom floor, make the middle floor really confusing so that people feel so disoriented, they'll go and shop. (laughs) It's just a really strange building. You could walk around that place for a day and never find the same place twice. I believe it's the largest working bus station in the world. And it's going to close in a few years because so many of the shops are empty because it wasn't thought out well. Sounds like you're walking through an Ikea. The same designer designed that middle floor. It makes the Ikea look very organized and very small. But inside, (laughs) Inside the bus station, there are nurseries. There are eight churches, I think, in there. There are travel agents with signs from the 1970s. And there's even a museum of Yiddish history in there. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Like Speaking of museums, are there any like uh, interesting museums that we should see while we're there? Yeah, there are a couple of interesting museums. There's a museum called Anu, which is the Museum of the Jewish Diaspora. It was called, I think, Bet Futsot many years ago and closed down and was, was reopened. And it tells the story of, of the Jewish population of Israel and where they came from and their history. I, I went about six months ago and there was a longstanding exhibition about Jewish comedy. And they've, they've recreated the set of Seinfeld in there. Oh, cool. So it, that's quite an interesting museum. The other museum that I would recommend is it's called the Eretz Israel Museum. It's made up of about eight or nine different buildings and each one has its own exhibition. And, and through that, that museum, Eretz Israel means land of Israel. It gives you a feel for Israel. There's photographic exhibitions. I think there was an exhibition last time I went about uh, the Israeli Postal Service. It just has lots of different exhibitions that tell the story of Israel. And I think within the museum, there's the hall where the uh, Declaration of Independence was signed. If it's not there, then there's a mock-up of it in there. There is also a really good museum of art, the Tel Aviv Museum of Art. I'd highly recommend that at the moment. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, before we run out of time, I also want to talk about some of the food that's available there in Tel Aviv. What are some of your favorite restaurants or what are some of the things we should hit up? Like maybe we start off where where's a good breakfast? Uh, like I know you mentioned most likely saving a little bit of money, hitting up your hotel breakfast with, for that free breakfast. But is there any place else you'd recommend? Breakfast is, is a big thing in Israel. Um, historically, when the state of Israel was founded in, in the 1940s, Israel was very much of an agricultural nation. So people would be out in the hot weather working the fields sort of from four or five in the morning. So they would have their main meal at breakfast or one of their main meals at breakfast. A lot of independent restaurants sell what they call the, the Israeli breakfast, which will be eggs, a plate of different cheeses, a salad, maybe a yogurt, muesli, fruit juice, coffee. It is a full meal, which is why the hotels have such big buffet breakfast, because in Israel, historically, breakfast was one of the big meals of the day. There is a restaurant I would possibly recommend if you want something a bit more 
traditional called Benedict. It's less Israeli, but Benedict does a good, as its name suggests, Eggs Benedict. It does a good English breakfast if you're desperate for bacon while you're in Israel. It's quite a rarity to find bacon in Israel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Certainly the hotels are the best place, I think, to have a, a good breakfast in Israel. Okay. And I, and you mentioned earlier that try to fill up in the morning and then you kind of maybe skip lunch or maybe just grab a snack uh, somewhere when you're out and about to save a little bit of money and then hit up some good restaurants for dinner. Do you have any recommendations for that? So uh, in terms of lunch, if you're going to grab a snack, there's quite a lot of street food around. I mean, the main traditional street food in Israel is, is falafel or going to a hummus bar. And there's quite a lot of those places around. There's a market about a kilometer away from the beach uh, called Serona Market. And it's in an area that the Templars used to live. And they've converted the old Templar houses into bars and restaurants. And at the back of it is is a modern market called Serona Market. And that is full of little street food outlets. I would highly recommend going there. There's also some really good bars just off there. And there is the Whiskey Museum. If you like whiskey, the Tel Aviv Whiskey Museum is at Serona Market. The pick of the restaurants there is one called Claro. That that tends to appear again and again in reviews as one of Tel Aviv's top restaurants. For me, and for a lot of people in Tel Aviv, vegan food, I mean, I'm not a vegan, but I, my favorite restaurant in Tel Aviv is a vegan restaurant. There are more vegans in Tel Aviv than anywhere else in the world per head, so I'm told. I love Indian food as well, so I've got a, a favorite restaurant called Dosa Bar, which is on Ben Yehuda Street, and I was there yesterday, in fact. And they do South Indian food, all vegan. Definitely one of my favorites. Oh, fantastic. Now, uh, what about if um, you know, maybe it's like a hot day, you want a little bit of ice cream, or you're just looking for a sweet treat after dinner or something like that? Uh, where would we go for that? All over. Down Ben Yehuda Street, down Dizengoff Street, in the markets. There, there are a number of chains, the most prominent of which is probably called Golda, where you can go and get ice cream, coffee, f- frozen yogurt. There's another chain called Aldo, but there are lots of independent ice cream stores on, on the sort of two main streets back from the beach, Dizengoff Street and Ben Yehuda Street. So there's no shortage of ice cream. Oh, fantastic. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips about Tel Aviv. I'm really interested and excited. I can't wait to book a trip to come out there. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Tel Aviv, where should they go and what should they eat? So I mentioned the um, falafel as the traditional lunchtime snack. There's a restaurant on King George Street called Falafel Ratson, and it's known for its six shekel falafel, which is still $2, but in Israel, a $2 lunch is cheap, and there are long queues. You go in there, it's like a production line. They, they give it to you really quickly, but it's it's really good falafel. So that's called Falafel Ratson. Oh, fantastic. Uh, I love a cheap meal, especially when you're trying to travel on a budget and everything like that. So that's awesome. Now, you said you've been in Tel Aviv for a little over a decade. What's one of your most memorable stories of being there? Probably my best stories are ones where my memory goes cloudy. Uh, I, I have a little gang of people I hang out with. There's four of us. We tend to meet every Thursday night online and have a drink together if we can't go out. And about two, three years ago, I think we were on one particular night out when we decided to walk around Tel Aviv wearing fezes and handing out chocolate balls because it was nearly Christmas. And we were doing well until we realized that they were milk chocolate balls. And with Tel Aviv being so full of vegans, I think we, we defended quite a few people in the vegan restaurant where we ended up handing them out um, <laughs> and, and got a telling off. But Tel Aviv, for me, um, I, I spend a lot of time there with friends. I, it's just full of good nights out. Other than when I went to the, the whiskey exhibition where I had too much whiskey 
I, I remember waking up on the train on the way home from Tel Aviv covered in tissue paper and my friends <laughs> I decided to plaster me with tissue paper while I snored on the train. Well, yeah, that's what good friends are for. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's certainly a place to have a fun night out. That's awesome. I'm glad that you have uh, those close friends like that, that you get a chance to be able to hang out and, and just kind of let loose. Now, speaking of good times and, and fun memories, what's the happiest happy hour in Tel Aviv? So my favorite happy hour is at a place called Mike's Place. It's got a little bit of a sad history. The original Mike's Place on Tel Aviv Beach was blown up in the 80s. I think there was a suicide bomber from England who decided to come out on holiday and blow the place up. So Mike's place was then rebuilt and it's got a lovely location facing the beach. So not only can you sit and watch the gym and the, the beautiful people on the beach, but you can have happy hour there. And it's two for one, I think, from, from around five o'clock to seven o'clock. Fantastic. You know, I mean, the, the best way to work out is doing those 12 ounce curls, you know, so. Yes, with, with a, a margarita. Yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is, is check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Tel Aviv? So, because of the rules of eating kosher food, they try and avoid putting meat and milk together. I mean, in Tel Aviv, you, you have no worry. You'll find restaurants that do this. I'm somebody that doesn't eat my meat and milk together. So, there is, and I know, I know you're not a big fan of chain restaurants, but Papa John's has just opened up a kosher restaurant in Tel Aviv, and they do a vegan pepperoni pizza. Oh yeah, like you know, like one of those fake meats or something like that, probably, right? Yeah. So I think it's fake meat and potentially fake cheese as well. But I think they also do a vegetarian pepperoni pizza. But I mean, there are plenty of pizza places around the corner for me. There's a place called Nona Angelo, which is quite a nice place. Uh, there's La Lasagna. There's Zota Pizza. There's plenty of good places for pizza, but most of them won't put meat together with the pizza. Well, my daughter will be happy because she always pulls the pepperonis off. So, so if we were just going to grab like a cheese pizza or like a, like a vegetarian pizza, which of those would you recommend? I would go with Nonna Angelo's. Right on. Well, we, we'll definitely hit that up. I can, I can do without pepperoni for, for one trip. That's not a problem. Now, I know that you travel a lot with your podcast. We'll talk about the, the podcast in a minute. But I know you travel a lot with the podcast where you guys are going on location and, and talking to people. And so with all those travels, I'm sure you have some great tips to be able to make life a little bit easier. What's one of your best travel tips? So my main travel tip, having traveled quite a lot, is um, always keep a change of clothes in your hand luggage. David, who I do the podcast with, and I have been caught out a couple of times where we've turned up without clothes. We're in a place called Tarnov in Poland, and we woke up in the morning without our luggage, and our first recording of the podcast was in the local market while we tried to find t-shirts and, and clean underwear. <laughs> so I would always recommend taking a change of clothes. Last month, we were in a place called Kars in Turkey, where the weather was about minus four Fahrenheit, not minus four Celsius, minus four Fahrenheit. And two or three of our party did not get their luggage from their transfer. And I am so glad I had three or four. I mean, I, I did, but I'm so glad I had three or four layers in my bag. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had a, a story when, when our son was, I don't know, like one or two years old, we were doing a red eye across from LA to Charlotte. And my wife had woke me up, gave me the sun because she was going to the restroom. And in a couple of minutes while she was gone, he decided to projectile vomit all over me. Like he took a bucket of water and threw it on me. And we were about an hour and a half into the, into like the four or five hour flight. I was absolutely miserable. It was the one time that I actually checked our luggage. We're normally team carry on where we bring our, our luggage with us. And luckily the the gentleman across the aisle had pity on me and, and gave me one of his his undershirts from from his his suit. Otherwise, I would have just been sitting there for the next like, three or four hours, drenched. 
So definitely, like you said, keeping that change of clothes with you is such a great idea. The other thing is booking your flight with a credit card that offers lost or delayed luggage benefits will help take care of you in those type of situations when the, the airline delays your bags. That way you can go out there and pay for clothing or essentials or whatever else in the meantime while they're trying to look at look for your bag. That's definitely key. I always use my credit cards for that. So Mark, I really appreciate you sharing all these amazing tips. Uh, it was great meeting you and, and talking about Tel Aviv and I can't wait to visit someday. If you come, I will take you for falafel. That sounds fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do? So my name is Mark Gordon. During the day, I work for the British Foreign Office, which is a fun thing to do. But it, my, my evening job is I've got an old university friend called David Harris, and we podcast together and we have a travel podcast, which appears every other week in the Jerusalem Post on the Jerusalem Post podcast site. Um, we get to travel the world talking about travel that would be of interest to readers of the Jerusalem Post. It's called the Jerusalem Post Podcast Travel Edition. We spent a long time thinking of that name. <laughs> hey, you know, they may not be the most creative name, but, the, you know, I listened to some of the episodes and the content is top notch. And, and I really appreciate, you know, especially for you know, some of my Jewish friends or people that just want to eat a little bit more clean that way, that you focus on some of the, some of the ways those cities kind of interact with the people from the Jewish faith uh, or that follow some of, those, uh, some of those guidelines on food, right? Yeah, we, we, we have to try and give it a sort of a unique selling point that would appeal to the, the readers and listeners of the Jerusalem Post, not all of whom are Jewish. And even though it's the Jerusalem Post, probably uh, a good 40 to 50 percent of our listenership is in North America. So, you know, we have to try and tailor it for an audience that's not necessarily Israeli and not necessarily religious, but has some sort of interest in that. So um, over the last six months, we've been to Lithuania, to Barcelona. Turkey, uh, Abu Dhabi, Napoli, Sorrento, and Poland. We've done three podcasts in Poland. Wow, that's such a so many great cities and so many great destinations. We'll definitely link to some of those episodes in the show notes. If people have questions about the podcast or about you know your day job or just about Tel Aviv, what's the best way for them to reach you? Best way to get hold of us, we have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a, a Twitter page. I'm, I'm sounding old here. I don't know if you call it a Twitter page. We're on Twitter, and they're <laughs> all at Mark David Pod. That's Mark with a K. So at Mark David Pod, or you can email us at markdavidpod at gmail.com. Fantastic. We'll definitely include links to those in the show notes. And Mark, again, it was a great meeting you, and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Thank you for having me on, Lee. What an awesome conversation with Mark. The city is such a wonderful mix of beach culture and history that there's something for everyone. You can find all the links we talked about today at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tel Aviv. We want to say thank you to Acorns for being today's affiliate partner. With Acorns, you can invest spare change automatically on every purchase that you make. Plus, you can earn found money by shopping at participating retailers. This is a great way to easily build up your travel fund. For a limited time, when you sign up at wetravelthere.com forward slash Acorns, we'll both earn $5. Join us next time as we celebrate our 200th episode. In this episode, I interview my kids, Timothy and Scarlett, to talk about family ski trips, whether or not you should book ski lessons, and snowball fights. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.